Chapter Three of Chemical Phenomena in Life by Frederick Chapek. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Protoplasm and Colloid Chemistry. We have been told in the foregoing chapter that protoplasm is a slimy mass containing numerous organic compounds which chiefly belong to the groups of proteins, carbohydrates, and fatty bodies. The substances named here represent for the chemist chemical bodies of certain physical properties which since the famous investigations of thomas graham on liquid diffusion applied to analysis in eighteen sixty one are well known as colloidal properties colloids the prototype of which is glue were characterized by graham as substances which scarcely or not at all show diffusion through animal membranes and which cannot possibly be brought into the shape of crystals colloids therefore form a striking contrast to the common mineral salts which readily show diffusion or osmosis through membranes and which regularly appear as crystals when the solution is concentrated and evaporated graham spoke of this stage as the crystalloid stage for him to use his own words colloids and crystalloids were two worlds of matter quite distinct and without any transition from one to the other it marked an important progress in biology when the views of thomas graham were applied to protoplasm the manifestly colloidal nature of living protoplasm demonstrated at oculus the significance of studies on colloids for biology protoplasm shows itself as an almost liquid slime of the consistence of a liquid starch paste or of a strong solution of albumin and never becomes solid graham divided colloids according to their more liquid or more jelly-like consistence into sols and gels there is no doubt that protoplasm has the nature of a sol while the knowledge of salt solutions was being perfected in the seventies and eighties of the last century colloidal solutions or sols were also extensively studied so it was learned that colloidal sols differ from salt or true solutions in a number of important points salt solutions are always electrolytes colloidal solutions never are salt solutions have a lower freezing point and a higher boiling point compared with the medium of solution water Colloidal solutions do not show any divergence from the two principal points of temperature of the medium of solution. Modern physical chemistry explains the properties of true solutions by the hypothesis that, depending upon dilution and temperature, a larger or smaller number of the dissolved molecules are split up into smaller particles, which are identical with Faraday's ions. Colloidal solutions do not conduct electric currents and do not show any difference in the osmotic pressure theoretically calculated from the number of molecules so we must believe that colloidal solutions are never electrolytes but are always molecular solutions the depression of the freezing point in solutions is less in proportion as the molecular weight of the substance dissolved is greater if colloidal solutions only show a very slight depression or one which lies beyond the limits of exact observation the conclusion is evident that colloidal substances have a very considerable molecular weight it was extremely interesting for physiology to learn that exactly those substances which are most important for life possess a very high molecular weight and consequently very large molecules in comparison with inorganic matter for example egg albumin is said to have the molecular weight of at least fifteen thousand starch more than thirty thousand whilst the molecular weight of hydrogen is two of sulfuric acid and of potassium nitrate about one hundred and the molecular weight of the heaviest metal salts does not exceed about three hundred thus we come to the hypothesis that the size of the molecules of dissolved colloids 
is considerably larger than the size of those of crystalloids. It is of great interest that in living protoplasm such large molecules are characteristic of its chemical structure. Graham believed that colloids and crystalloids are not connected with each other by substances of intermediate character. They were rather said to differ very clearly. But now we know that natura non facet saltus, not even in colloid and crystalloid matter. The chemistry of proteins showed that typical colloids, for instance egg albumin, are step-by-step step transferred into typically soluble substances when these proteins are split up into the products of digestion by the working of digestive ferments. The first products of decomposition, the proteoses, show the typical colloid properties, only slightly less marked than the original protein. The peptones, the next product of decomposition, are not crystallizable, but are distinctly different from typical colloids. Their molecular weight is certainly less than 1,000, and they are distinctly electrolytes. Another example of an intermediate state between colloids and crystalloids is demonstrated in soap solutions. Both peptones and soaps are important and widely spread constituents of cell plasma. Such substances forming transitions from colloids to crystalloids may be called semicolloids. On the other hand, we have to confess that we cannot draw a sharp line of distinction between liquids containing solid particles suspended and colloidal solutions in which only molecules of large size can be present. These facts are of the greatest importance for biology. The chemists Lindler and Picton were able to show how suspensions of the yellow sulfide of arsenic are obtainable in particles of all sizes, from particles which were too heavy to remain suspended and which sank quickly to the bottom, a continual gradation was observed down to particles which were so small that they passed through paper filters and were not even microscopically visible. Bredick's experiments on platinum dispersed by the electric arc in water clearly demonstrated that metallic platinum may be obtained there in every imaginable size of particles. The coarsest particles form a brown precipitate. The finest of them stain the water dark brown without any trace of turbidity, are not retained by any filter, and no particle is microscopically visible. The liquid has all the properties of a colloidal solution of platinum. The metal sols, of which a large number have already been obtained, are of great interest, since we possess a new experimental help for studies of colloids in the so-called ultramicroscope. Tyndall drew attention to the remarkable phenomenon that rays of light remain visible in a liquid only when particles suspended therein reflect the light. When water is carefully freed from any trace of particles of dust, we cannot follow the course of rays of light through the liquid. The water rather appears to us as itself diffusely lighted, without showing the stripes of light which are produced by a ray of sunlight or electric light thrown upon a vessel containing water. Colloidal solutions always show Tyndall's phenomenon. This experiment, therefore, is very suitable to demonstrate the existence of solid particles in colloidal solutions. About ten years ago, Zygmondi in Jena very ingeniously used the principle of Tyndall's phenomenon to show the single particles themselves in colloidal solutions by means of the microscope. Whilst microscopical objects are usually illuminated by rays of light so directed that they are parallel to the axis of the microscope, Zygmondi's microscope was arranged in such a manner that a very thin and strong ray of electric light was thrown through the microscopical preparation from the side, vertical to the axis of the microscope. Consequently, the microscopical field of vision remained dark. The suspended particles, when illuminated from the side, reflect the light and become visible, 
appearing like small stars on the dark sky. The strong dispersion of light does not permit us to recognize the size and shape of the single particles, but they can be counted exactly. In this way, the particles of platinum or of gold sols were made visible, and even their size could be indirectly determined. An arrangement was even made for studying living cells and protoplasm by means of the ultramicroscope. It was clearly shown that numerous particles in the protoplasm are made visible by this method, which could not be seen by the ordinary microscope. Ordinary microscopical observation with the strongest lenses can show particles of about 250 micromicrometers in diameter. We call particles of and above this size microns. The ultramicroscope makes particles visible even down to the size of 6 micromicrometers, provided that the power of light applied is strong enough. Such particles are called submicrons. But in solutions of albumin or of starch paste, even the ultramicroscope does not dissolve the cone of light into single particles. Nevertheless, it is highly probable that even in such solutions separate particles exist which are smaller than 6 micromicrometers. Such are called amicrons. The presence of amicrons can be shown indirectly, for such corpuscles readily become the nuclei of precipitates. When amicrons are present, precipitation is more easily effected than without them. The size of six micromicrometers in diameter is probably the size of the albumin molecules themselves. Thus, by means of the ultramicroscope, it has been made possible to distinguish the largest molecules of colloidal substances and to demonstrate the reality of existence for the molecules. Submicrons, however, are generally already aggregations of molecules. In such a way, we can get at least a glimpse of the molecular structure of colloids and of protoplasm in particular. Protoplasm, in the same way as colloidal solutions, must generally be considered as a heterogeneous system. Solid particles of different colloidal substances are suspended in a liquid. The particles are of different sizes. Some do not differ in size from large molecules, some form aggregations of molecules, others consist of small masses of suspended substance, others finally are but coarse particles, already subjected to the force of gravitation, and if allowed, quietly deposit. The particles, besides, may be of different physical conditions, either liquid drops or solid bodies. Colloidal solutions, indeed, show quite a different physical behavior if the suspended particles vary in size and in physical condition. In the first case, it is advisable to divide the colloidal solutions into several groups, according to the solid or liquid state of the suspended particles. Colloidal solutions which contain solid particles may be called suspensions. Such as contain small suspended drops of liquids may be named emulsions. Instead of drops, there may even occur in colloids small bubbles of gas, then the colloid system more or less resembles froth. It is possible that even in protoplasm, small bubbles of gas are included, forming a very fine foam. According to the size of the suspended particles, all these colloids show well-marked physical differences. When the particles are comparatively large, the constitution of the system is as a rule very unstable, and the particles are inclined to deposit. Such suspensions are scarcely to be considered as colloidal systems, but rather as a transition stage to colloids. Protoplasm must, to a certain extent, have the properties of such a suspension. We must therefore ask what characteristics are found in these suspensions. Such systems have in general the properties of the liquid medium. 
the specific weight viscosity and surface tension do not differ from the value found for the medium and so it is with regard to the freezing point the boiling point and the power of conducting electric currents we may understand this to be due to the comparatively small quantity of the suspended substance in proportion to the quantity of the liquid medium such suspension systems do not in any way resemble solutions here we may mention the so-called phenomenon of cataphoresis in these suspensions when an electric current passes through the suspension the particles migrate to the anode or to the cathode corresponding to the specific character of the suspension this phenomenon which has been thoroughly discussed by physical chemists has not yet shown itself to be of any great importance for the chemistry of protoplasm whilst suspensions with comparatively large particles can be recognized as suspensions by ordinary microscopical observation the particles in other colloidal solutions can be discovered only by means of the ultramicroscope. We have mentioned that protoplasm contains ultramicroscopic particles or submicrons, which are not seen but by ultramicroscopic investigation. All these colloids may be called suspension colloids. From coarse suspension to suspension colloids, there exist all kinds of intermediate suspensions. The platinum sol and other metal sols mentioned above belong, according to their action, and to their physical properties to the suspension colloids they have been of great use in studies on suspension colloids quantitative analysis showed that even in suspension colloids the amount of the solid phase is very small in comparison with the quantity of the liquid medium suspension colloids have very few points of resemblance with solutions they do not conduct electric currents but to a slight extent and they do not show alteration from the freezing point of their liquid medium cataphoresis has been quite generally noticed even in suspension colloids in fact suspension colloids are nothing else but cases of ultramicroscopic suspension the only one important difference from coarse suspensions is the great stability of suspension colloids platinum sol or the colloid solution of hydroxide of iron or any other suspension colloid may be kept for years without showing any alteration since the suspended particles are considerably smaller we must believe that the surface of contact between the suspended substance and the medium we speak nowadays of the medium of dispersion is much larger in suspension colloids than in coarse suspensions we may consider this to be the reason for the greater stability of the former of great chemical and biological interest is the effect of small amounts of salts namely electrolytes on suspension colloids if we prepare a colloidal suspension of mastic resin in water by mixing one drop of alcoholic mastic solution with a large quantity of water and add to the milky liquid a trace of mineral salt solution after a couple of seconds white flakes of deposit appear in the colorless liquid and the whole resin colloid is precipitated in flakes we do not doubt and our opinion is confirmed by the noteworthy experimental work of hardy bredick and others that the electric properties of the colloid play a chief part in this flaking phenomena we have to think that the colloid particles are aggregated or agglutinized by electric influence and form a deposit when they have reached a certain stage of aggregation probably the particles charged with positive or negative electricity attract ions of contrary charge since ions have a much stronger electric charge than colloid particles one ion may attract a number of colloid particles by this process there must be formed large masses of the colloid which are no longer able to remain suspended in the liquid and form flakes which slowly deposit all colloid solutions or sols 
which do not show any separate particles either by means of the ordinary microscope or by the ultramicroscope are at present united under the name of emulsion colloids there is no doubt that just such colloids are the most important constituents of protoplasm the physical properties of emulsion colloids are very characteristic in comparison with those of suspension colloids the optical and electrical methods which are so useful in studying suspension colloids do not show remarkable results in emulsion colloids the suspended particles are so small that their existence can only indirectly be proved by the tyndall phenomenon the particles in suspension colloids are charged with a certain kind of electricity the organic colloids and the metals of the group of platinum are charged with negative electricity the hydroxide salts of iron aluminum etc with positive electricity the kind of electricity never changes in consequence of this positive colloids may be precipitated by negatively electric colloids and vice versa but colloids of the same electric charge are never precipitated by each other the electric conditions are quite different in emulsion colloids cataphoresis can be shown but working more slowly on the contrary a very remarkable characteristic of emulsion colloids is that the kind of electricity with which they are charged can be easily changed thus albumin particles can be charged either with positive or with negative electricity it depends upon the chemical condition of the medium of solution which electricity is accepted by the albumin particles if the reaction of the medium is alkaline the particles are negatively electric but in an acid medium they are charged with positive electricity emulsion colloids also show quite a different reaction to small quantities of electrolytes emulsion colloids are never precipitated by a small amount of mineral salts the electric properties of the ions cannot alter the colloid state otherwise emulsion colloids in many respects resemble real solutions in the first place the diffusion of emulsion colloids is considerable enough to be measured by means of the usual contrivances for studying diffusion phenomena such experiments had already been made by graham later on pfeffer carried out experiments on solutions of gum arabic and glue to show that distinct osmotic pressure can be observed to be exercised by such colloids the osmotic pressure however is very small as compared with the osmotic effects of sugar solution or of inorganic salts even the freezing point of emulsion colloids is distinctly lower than the freezing point of the pure medium such salts show many transition characteristics to true solutions the density of salts is distinctly different from the specific gravity of the pure medium the surface tension of salts also differs regularly from the surface tension of the pure medium in many cases the surface tension of water is lowered by dissolving colloids in it such characteristics are to be expected in the emulsion colloids of protoplasm protoplasm therefore has many of the physical and chemical characteristics of true solutions on the other hand properties must be present in protoplasm which are only found in suspensions we see that such a state of things is very favorable for the action and counteraction of many substances in the narrow territory of the protoplasm of one cell water is without doubt the medium of solution in protoplasm many substances chiefly of the groups of protein bodies and carbohydrates form the mucous emulsion colloid which is the fundamental mass of protoplasm protoplasm is practically an albumin soul we remember that fatty substances are regular constituents of protoplasm they are not soluble in watery mediums but they may be brought into the form of colloid solution in water either only into the stage of suspension colloids 
as we can see on shaking oil and water together, or even into the stage of emulsion colloids. The latter can be reached by adding a trace of potassium carbonate to the mixture of oil and water. It is sufficient to shake the mixture for a very short time to form a milky liquid of great stability, which can be filtered without change. The physical properties of such oil emulsions are the properties of emulsion colloids. In protoplasm, fats must be present in the form of suspension colloids and of emulsion colloids. Other substances insoluble in water must be present in similar forms. It may be that the whole mass of protoplasm is not equally rich in these suspensions. As a rule, we perceive along the cell wall, on the outmost layer of protoplasm, a thin protoplasmatic part which does not show any visible particles, and only very few under the ultramicroscope. This layer was named by Pfeffer hyaloplasma. The other parts of protoplasm usually contain great quantities of coarser particles which give a grayish color to the whole protoplasmatic mass. Pfeffer introduced the name of polioplasma for this part of the cytoplasma. It is manifest that hyaloplasma is an important medium to admit substances from outside into the cell, as well as to permit the passing out of products of the cell. Hyaloplasm can therefore be considered to be the cell organ for the endosmosis and exosmosis of substances, namely, the osmotic organ of cell protoplasm. Polioplasm, on the other hand, must be the organ to assimilate the substances which enter the cell, to form new constituents of protoplasm, to furnish different forms of physical energy, to continue the process of life, and to form the substances which are superfluous for cellplasm and are excretions. Polioplasm is thus the seat of the metabolism of the cell itself. We shall try to show how far our present chemical knowledge may explain the connection of all these functions of living cell protoplasm. End of chapter 3